0: So our message is in the Gospel of John. John sixteen. And I'll start reading at verse sixteen. So John sixteen, sixteen through verse twenty-four. A little while, and you will not see me and again a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, What is this that he says, a little while? We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples uh, just before his death. And we pray that you would uh, open up our minds, that we would understand them, experience them, and learn from them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in verse 16, it's kind of difficult to read that. You have to be careful. There's a lot of repetition of words and you have to make sure that you note the ones that are most significant, like for instance, whether there's a not in there or not. And so he begins by saying, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Now, who's doing the seeing? The disciples. And who is being seen? Jesus. So now, disciples are frustrated. You can hear it in their voices. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? They said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. So they're frustrated. And this is after three years of being with him, and he's still speaking in riddles. They must be so frustrated. And they're thinking, and, and earlier, you, there are times when, oh, now you're speaking clearly. Oh, good, oh, good. And they thought that would remain the truth, the way that he would continue to interact with them. But nope, now he's back to riddles again. And so he said, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And so he knows, of course, exactly what they're thinking. He, though, always is communicating with them in this way and riddles because he wants them to think. We want it spoon-fed to us. Here you go, little baby. Here you go, right in the mouth. That isn't the way Jesus taught. And so we get spoiled by someone that can make it so simple for us to understand something, and we always want it that way. But God is wise. God makes us work for it, and that's what Jesus was doing. And then at verse 20, most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And then he goes on to share the analogy of the woman giving birth. And it is a very good analogy. Uh, You know, and and Jesus said it, not me. I, I wouldn't dare use an analogy of childbirth, having never given birth to a baby, But yet when I'm with my wife and I see her giving birth to a baby, it is it is incredibly painful. Uh, And she went au naturel for all four of them. And so, I mean, that pain is just very intense. And yet, what do you see on the mom's face a couple minutes before the baby is born? You just see pain. That's what you see. There's this this. In desperation you dare not you want the contraction to come you want the baby to come out but man you don't want to go through that pain and so you see that you see that that anxiety that anxiousness they're, they're just they're just afraid of that next contraction coming and yet minutes after the baby is born they are just so restful their face is all that anxiety is gone and then in the few minutes when the nurses get the baby cleaned up and put them in the mother's arm, then joy. So it's an excellent illustration. And so we, having not been there, having not lived through watching the betrayal of Christ, that path to the cross, him being nailed to it, dying, you know, we just can't experience that pain that they were suffering because we see the whole story played out in a few sentences but then to have the resurrection come about and for them to see Jesus, just remarkable. What joy they must have felt. And so then he goes on to verse 22, therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no more will be taken from you. Now who's doing the seeing? Jesus Sees them, He says, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. The reason I draw the distinction between him seeing them and them seeing him is then the start of verse 23, and in that day, you will ask me nothing. So see, we're not talking about just after the resurrection. We're not talking about this time afterwards where he walked with them, appeared to them. We're talking about after that after the Holy Spirit has come. That was what was discussed last week. We talked about the Holy Spirit coming, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He will reveal all truth to you, Jesus said. So now he's looking beyond that, and he's speaking about how it will work after he has ascended to his Father in heaven. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And this is where we Know, all of you men that pray, you know that each week before you pray, you get an email from Gary. And Gary says, remember to pray in Jesus' name. Now, it doesn't mean that your prayers aren't going to be heard if you don't. And yet, Jesus himself tells us we are to pray in his name. We read the uh, Lord's Prayer earlier, and the Lord's Prayer was spoken to the disciples a few years earlier, where Jesus was still really cloaking his divinity in many ways. And so he doesn't end the Lord's Prayer and say it in my name. But now we ought to realize that that's implied because this essentially modifies the Lord's Prayer to say in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know whether we have to do that, but I'm just saying that when Jesus taught it earlier, it was not. He was not yet at this point where he's telling them, your prayers to the Father must be given in my name. Why? Why must they? Because he's the one that's earned the right to be heard by the Father. So when we come to the Lord, when we come to the Father and ask our prayers, it is in Jesus' name because it's in his authority that the Father will hear us. He has no reason to hear us on our authority. We are still in our sins and yet Christ's blood has cleansed us Christ's sacrifice has changed us and what does he say twice he says most assuredly I say to you whatever you ask the Father in my name he will give you until now you have asked nothing in my name ask and you will receive that your joy may be full so he says he will give you whatever you ask and ask and you will receive." So twice Jesus affirms that we are to go to the Father and ask for things specifically, not just presume. We all presume upon God's goodness and that's just natural. We're human beings, we wake up, we rise from the dead every morning, and yet we presume that when we step out of bed the floor will be there. We presume that when we walk outside the sun will be shining, that the temperature is at least in a range in which we'll survive. But all of these are blessings of God. All of these are from his hand. So see, why, I wonder, though, were they reluctant to address Jesus with their questions? I brought that up right at the beginning. Instead, who did they ask questions of? One another. Why? Why would they ask questions of one another instead of Jesus, who's standing right there? There are... I think a few reasons, let me share two. I mentioned the one earlier. I think they're kind of tired of the puzzles in part. And so they're reluctant to ask further questions because they know or fear they're just gonna get more enigmatic answers that don't really clearly answer their doubts in their mind. But another one is also what I implied earlier, they've been with him for three years now. Why don't they understand what he's saying? Is it that they're stupid? Is it that they haven't been paying attention? There is a phrase that I like, and many of you, I'm sure, have heard it. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. They're all probably thinking, we should know this. Come on, come on, guys. We should be able to figure this out. And yet Jesus has pity on them because he probably realizes, no, you're not going to be able to figure this out. And so he gives them more information. But now we must not be fearful of seeking wisdom from the only true source of ultimate wisdom, and that's God and his word. Yet, even now, in our flesh, we are often more comfortable seeking answers from one another. Why? Again, why? I think it's a different reason than I gave for the disciples. I believe we are more comfortable asking one another the question because first, if we're seeking it from the Word, it means we have to work at it. It means we have to read, we have to meditate, we have to study. Oh, it's so hard. I can remember some of the meetings we had with Phil early on when the Dominion was formed. Some of the guys just wanted Phil to give us the answers. Phil, what's the answer? Why why do you just go round and round and not say yes or no? I just want to know, should I do this or should I not? And he just wouldn't make it easy for some of us. And some of us were very frustrated by that, that enigmatic, well, it depends type of answer. And yet, that's the truth. You need to learn it. You need to learn to apply it. You need to not then blame Phil if you get tired of playing it out the way he had answered it. Oh, well, what about this? What about that? It's easy for everybody to be a critic when it's someone else's advice they're acting upon. We've all done that. We've all accepted advice and then blamed the person that gave us the advice when it didn't work. I've taught a lot of people to play pool and the reason they don't make shots after I tell them how to make it is that I'm an idiot. It's not that they didn't shoot as I told them to shoot it, right? It's just that's the way life is. We like to blame other people for our own failings. So now we don't want to work at it and another thing too If you go to God and his word and you're seeking answers and and questions from him, you, you presume a relationship with the Lord that not all of us always have. Our relationship with God is not always on the front burner. It's not always hot and ready to eat. It's back there. We've pushed it way back in our life. And so if we've done that with God and our relationship with him, we're not comfortable going to him for answers to questions. This is how we want to then. Okay, God, this is my question. What's the answer, you know? Tell me now. And I think God, with all of us, God has sometimes answered our questions. Even the foolishness of how I just did that. He will still answer the question sometimes just to show us that he's there. And but it's not to reinforce this decision making process but yet he has pity on us, he loves us, he wants us to do the right thing. So now, also another reason when we, I think, don't wanna go to God with our questions is why? Because we know the answer, we know God's answer already. We wanna go to someone else that'll give us a different answer so we can feel justified in not doing what it is that God wants us to do. So when we come to the table, We come to the table aware of our failings. Even if we've failed God miserably in the past week, even if we don't feel yet now like we're really walking with him, we continue to come to the table. We don't remove ourselves from it. We come and we say, God, please have pity on us. Please have mercy on us. I want to walk more closely with you this week. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, a goodness that is far beyond what we deserve. And yet, Lord, uh, sometimes because we know we don't deserve it, we run away from you as opposed to running towards you. And so we pray that instead, Father, we would recognize that you are uh, always willing to uh, embrace those that come to you seeking forgiveness, that come to you seeking wisdom and direction, We thank you, Father, for earthly counselors. We thank you for earthly wisdom. And yet we pray mostly that you would uh, have your Holy Spirit to revive us, to have us set aside uh, earthly pleasures and desires and the things that fill our lives and instead uh, point us to yourself, uh, point us to what we lack, and have us seek it from your hand. Lord, we know that you will not just grant it freely, but that you want us to work for it. You want us to seek you out. And we pray, Father, that we would seek you out and that you would let us find you. We give you thanks now in advance for the blessing that you will bring to us in the week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.